You Can Mentor is a podcast about the power of building relationships with kids from hard places in the name of Jesus. Every episode will help you overcome common mentoring obstacles and give you the confidence you need to invest in the lives of others. You Can Mentor. Well, hey everyone, my name is Daniel, and today I am thrilled to be joined by our awesome co-hosts, Miss Caroline Cash, Stephen Murray, and our guest, Zach Garza, founder and executive director of Forerunner Mentoring Program. How's everybody doing? Hey, Daniel. So Great. So awesome. Good. It's good. good to be here. Good. So glad that you guys are joining us today for the program. Today on You Can Mentor, we are really excited for the chance to be able to dig into more of Zach's story. One of the things that we're always looking to explore on this program are the specific mentor relationships that God uses to change the trajectory of our lives of the people that we meet. And so what better story to kick us off, but none other than our friend, Mr. Zachary Garza, Sr. Sr. Yes. That's right. Don't forget it. <laughs> Don't forget it. Yes. Respect. So, yes. So, Zach, we are um, so grateful. Thank you for taking the time to share a little bit of your story with us today. We are um, we're just we're pumped to hear from you. Well, thanks, Daniel. I'm super pumped to be here. You're welcome, man. You're welcome. Well, so um, let's, uh, let's just kind of kick things off with just kind of getting a little bit of your, your background. Yeah, for we? sure. Yeah, tell us where you came from. Yeah, so I was born and raised in Richardson, Texas, which is a suburb of uh, the great city of Dallas. Um, Mm -hmm. I I am the middle child, so uh, I have kind of a complicated family tree. Um, Both of my parents were previously married, and so um, whenever I came into the picture, I had an older half-brother on my dad's side and an older half-brother on my, my mom's side, and so... Um, now in my life, I've got two more half brothers who are, um, on my dad's side again. So the full range of the spectrum goes from 18 years old to 50 years old. And I'm smack dab in the middle. Um, so my dad was a firefighter. He's a man's man. Um, my mom's a teacher. And so, uh, whenever we were growing up, we kind of had the picture perfect family, um, from the outside looking in. So we did church every Sunday, every Wednesday night, every Sunday night, um, and we did our best to really make it seem like everything was okay. When were some of the times when you began to see things change in your family? So you said that it looked picture perfect from the outside, but clearly, when did that kind of change? Yeah, so um, that's a good question, Caroline. Uh, honestly, I have a traumatic block in, um, in my mind from my childhood. And so, um, I've done some, uh, counseling and things like that. And, uh, whenever the brain becomes over overloaded with, uh, stress or traumatic circumstances, um, it has a way of blocking out things to kind of protect, um, to protect a person's heart, to protect a person's brain. I do remember, um, my childhood was filled with lots of, um, lots of shouting. And, uh, I just, I can describe the feeling of, um, man, things aren't going well here. So, so what were some of the, the main hurts, main frustrations, main pains that may have caused that, that block and those things that you don't remember? So the first thing that comes to mind is my parents, 
uh, split up whenever I was 13. And so my house wasn't a safe place. Um, there was multiple forms of abuse there. Um, and although I never experienced it firsthand, um, several members of my, my family did. And then just kind of everything stems from that, right? My dad was truly trying to do the best job that he could as a husband and as a father, but, um, but things, you know, things ended up not going as planned. And because of that, that just had an effect on every area of my life. It had an effect on my mom, had an effect on how she viewed herself, how she viewed family. It allowed the enemy to get a foothold in on guilt and shame and condemnation. For me, uh, I was lost. I was confused. I was hurt. I didn't understand it. It was almost like my my whole life got flipped upside down in in a span of of a week. Yeah. Um, I mean, we went from being this family um, family of four to it just being me and my mom overnight, um, wow. and that was that was really hard for me. Uh, I think while I was going through it, I couldn't articulate the impact that it had on me. I couldn't tell you how it changed me, but I can look back now and just see how difficult that was on me. So, I mean, just so many things that come from that, just how we were viewed by society, how we were viewed by our church, um, just how I saw myself, um, how I saw myself as a man and um, how I, uh, I was kind of on my own. I mean, my dad has done the best job that he could um, at being a father. Um, I mean, he has his own hurts, right? He has his own past um, that affect who he is today. Um, And honestly, from 13 to really 18, I got passed back and forth to my mom, to my dad, back to my mom on a consistent basis just because I was such a handful. I was acting out because I was angry, I was hurt, I didn't forgive, I was bitter, and I couldn't express any of that, right? Like, I couldn't articulate those feelings. I couldn't tell my mom, I couldn't tell my dad, hey, I'm hurt, and this is why. I was just left to deal with all that stuff on my own. And so, my dad did teach me how to drive, um... And then uh, I had other men in my life kind of teach me different things. Um, I can remember going to an eighth grade dance, and I didn't know how to tie a tie, and my uh, mom didn't either. So I had to go over to my friend's house and ask his dad how to, how to tie a tie. Um, and there, there was shame attached to that. Um, I didn't know how to shave until I was 25. Um, (laughs) I mean, I kind of figured it out. Right. But, uh, I didn't ever have anyone teach me how to do it right. (laughs) And so I understand that that seems simple. Right. Um, but that's just one of the many things that I I didn't know how to do. Uh, I didn't know how to shake a hand and make eye contact. I didn't know how to ask questions. I didn't have self-confidence. I didn't know that I was smart until I was in my late 20s. I can vividly remember being terrified of not being accepted. I um, would constantly text my friends. And uh, actually, it wasn't even text. I actually 
sent them a page, right? Do you guys re- re- remember pagers? Oh, yeah. I would page. No, I don't. <laughs> I would page my friends. Um, and if they wouldn't get back to me within three to five minutes, I would page them again with 911. And if they wouldn't get back to me again, I would page them with 911, 911. Because um, I was so terrified that they would be doing something without me. Because I was so scared to not be wanted, to not have a place, right? I didn't process this with anyone. I didn't cry from 13 until I was 20. I suppressed everything because as a man, you don't talk about your feelings. You don't talk about your hurt. I didn't even know what was going on. I didn't even know that I was angry. I didn't know that I was scared. It was just me. And I was left to deal with all of the stuff on my own because I didn't feel like I mattered. I didn't feel like anyone cared. Mm -hmm. I didn't have anyone ask me about it. Right. Um, You know, what's so interesting is hearing you say that as a man or, or, or because you were a man, you didn't feel like you could express your feelings. But not having a whole lot of male influence, like who told you that that's what men, that that's what men didn't do. You know what I mean? Like, and so it makes me think of just how society sort of informs Mm -hmm. our, our beliefs about who we are as men, you know, especially if we don't have a man there to guide us. Yeah. And uh, I mean, uh, I'm going to be honest. It's, it sounds silly. But I learned how to be a man from watching movies mm-hmm. and listening to yeah. uh, certain artists. Yeah, me um, too. I mean, I, I became obsessed with movies. Um, and as I look back now, I think it's because they were always there for me. Um, mm-hmm. If I didn't have anything to do, I'd just pop in a movie. Um, and that's where, I, that's where I learned a ton. Um, but as I, as I try to go back into my heart and view Zach, the 13-year-old, um, I just see an insecure boy who was terrified mm. um, and who was isolated and alone um, and who felt like he didn't have a spot in this world mm. and who felt like he didn't matter. Because there wasn't anyone there telling me those things. Right. And there wasn't anyone there who was making time for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And, I mean, I want to honor my mom and my dad. They did the best job that they could. Um, But, man, that is just how I felt. Was there anyone else kind of in your circle that had gone through something similar to you? My best friend, Kip, uh, and I went through this at the same time. Uh, Kip's dad um, wasn't able to be there for him and his family. It was pretty close after my dad left. I mean, mm. I, I'm talking within weeks. Wow. Um, and me and Kip were tied to the hip. Yeah. Um, all throughout. <laughs> Is that something that you guys said a lot? Or did no. you just say that now? Because it rhymes and yeah. it sounds... Because um, you're a rapper now. <laughs> I am a rapper. If you didn't know. No, but, me and Kip uh, were tied to the hip. Me and Kip were inseparable. Uh, and... I think even though we never talked about it, um, I shouldn't say that. We, we, we would talk about it in weird ways, right? Like we would complain about it or we would um, talk about how uh, just the different things that were going on with our dad. And it was almost in code. We, we would just discuss how our lives were completely changing. But I, <laughs> I remember not long after our dads left, me and Kip, Kip had a 
older brother who played defensive end for uh, for Navy, complete stud, six foot six, two hundred and forty pounds of just solid muscle. And he comes in one day. And he's like, "Guys, we're gonna go get tattoos tonight, <laughs> and we're gonna get tattoos of a Chinese symbol that says promise because we're promising right now that we're never going to take off on our wives." Mm. Wow. And so, uh, me and Kip have Chinese, Chinese symbols uh, on our bodies. Um, that is a promise that we're never gonna take off on our wives. And so. Whoa. Um, How old were you? I couldn't have been more than 16. <laughs> nice. I know. <laughs> but uh, that right there shows you how much it took a toll on us. The fact that we were willing to go get tattoos. Um, and even though we never talked about it, even though we couldn't counsel each other or care for, we always knew that it was there. It was like this elephant, right, that's standing in the middle of our room that no one would talk about. Right. Um, so, wow. Yeah, so I have a Chinese symbol tattoo <laughs> on my hip. And I was going to ask where, but people make you fun said of it. body, yeah, so I was no, like, maybe I shouldn't ask no. him where it is. <laughs> people make fun of it all the time. That's hilarious. <laughs> like yeah. Wow. Super well, manly. Kit, Did Kip get one on hit, his hip, too? So. <laughs> no, I think Kip got his on like his back or his arm or something. Okay, cool. Much more manly. Wow. wow. Nice. It's crazy to me, like the, the season you're living in in pager land, like, yeah. which I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. I know <laughs> two of you in the room probably experienced that, yeah. but it's like even with, I guess, the lack of technology, you still attach yourself to movies. Like yeah. movies were always there for mm -hmm. me. And it's like the generation we live in now, I mean, if the dad's in the home, they're fighting for the attention of their kid from the television, right. from yeah. the, the iPad and all those things. Who has fought for your attention, gotten into your space, and been a father figure, been a mentor, engaged you, and, and became, came into that space where yeah. movies had always been? I feel so fortunate that I've had multiple men in my life who have fought for me. Um, and the first one was uh, this guy named Bob. And Bob was a professor at um, my college, and I had the opportunity to work for him. Uh, I worked uh, for him running teenage summer camps. And, uh, and Bob was the first man in my life who ever um, really made, made a point to spend time with me. And I felt like Bob never tried to fix me. That was my favorite thing about Bob was that he didn't come with an agenda. He didn't say, hey, you need to get your act together. You need to do better in school. You need to do this and this and this. No, Bob, Bob just wanted to be with me. The Lord ultimately used Bob to open my eyes to um, the pain and the hurt that my upbringing caused me. So I, uh, I can remember um, Bob invited me to go to a Bible study. And I didn't want anything to do with a Bible study. I didn't want anything to do with church because I thought church people um, were fake and that they were all talk. Um, whenever me and my mom were going through a hard time, I felt like the church didn't show up for us, and that hurt. Um, there were a couple men who did. Uh, you know, I, I distinctly remember a guy from our church who I didn't really even like very much, um,
I, uh, I remember watching him pull up to my house and hand my mom an envelope and leave. And in that envelope was um, thousands upon thousands of dollars that paid for my older brother's college tuition. I mean, I, I remember my, uh, remember one of my best friends. His name was, uh, name was Jason. The week after my dad left, I was standing on the lunch line, and I was about to pay for my lunch. And Jason came up out of nowhere, and he paid for my lunch. Um, and I just knew that his parents had told him to do that. So Bob invites me to go to this Bible study. Um, and I didn't want any, anything to do with church, but I went because um, I just wanted to be with Bob. Um, I was like a lost puppy, right? Like just following around the first person who gave him attention. Um, that's kind of how I was with Bob. So when Bob told me to go to something, I went. And we went to this Bible study and Bob starts talking about the father heart of God. And he starts saying, you know, God put fathers here on earth to be an example of who he is. For some people, that's a good thing. You know, their father is consistent and kind and present, and so is God. But for some people here in this room, it's not a good thing. Um, and I just want you to know that God is not like your father here on earth. Um, and when Bob said that, the Lord did something in my heart. Uh, the Holy Spirit began to move, and for the first time since I was 13, I started crying. And when I started to cry, I couldn't stop. It was like all this pain and emotion and hurt that I've been suppressing for so many years was just coming up. And I get embarrassed, right? Um, and I leave the Bible study, and Bob sees me leave, and I'm um, walking out the door, and Bob follows after me, and he chases me down and he grabs me by the back of the neck and he just pulls me in for a hug. And it was the first time that someone had hugged me in a long, long time. And I just wept in his arms. And I just remember Bob speaking truth over me, saying, Zach, I love you and I'm here for you. And he said this one thing. He said, but you've got to deal with this pain, this hurt from your childhood because it's killing you. And that changed everything. Uh, I felt like I was on the road to kind of becoming just like my dad and just like my granddad and just like my great-great-granddad. And the Lord used Bob's relationship to put me on this path of life. And although my actions didn't change for a long time, I believe that the Lord used my relationship with Bob, Bob's intentionality, to completely transform my life. After, um, after that, Bob actually got me a job working for a church in San Antonio. And it was there that I was introduced to, uh, to an older man named Dan. Um, and Dan just continued to love me for me. And he in introduced me to a guy named Joel. And Joel taught me how to be a cool guy who still follows after Jesus. He introduced me to a guy named Randy. And Randy was a man's man. And he was married. And I learned so much just by watching Randy love his wife well. Um, after that, I come on down to get a job in Dallas, Texas, and the Lord introduces me to, um, to a man named Paul. And uh, I mean, Paul taught me how to pick out the perfect kind of shaving cream, right? And Paul in introduced me to a man who would change my life. And that guy's name was Alex. And Alex sat me down for six Wednesdays. 
And he said, hey, Zach, I see pride in you. Let's talk about that. Hey, Zach, I see hurt in you. I see unforgiveness in you. Um, let's talk about where that came from. Um, and then uh, what the Lord started with Bob and what all these other men, um, you know, did after Bob, he finished with this man named Steve. And Steve is, um, without a doubt, the most important person in my life. Um, that's not named Sarah. <laughs> um, Steve is, without a doubt, the most important man in my life. And there's no way that I'd be here without Steve. Did you find that it was easier for you to uh, trust or open up or um, really heal like more quickly when, you know, what started with Bob, like was there was there had to be trust built there and there had to be trust built with every single one of these men. Have you in your life seen yourself soften to the idea of having someone, you know, kind of come into that space um, of like a father or as a mentor? Yes. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I had a wall built up around my heart that was pretty high and starting with Bob, the Lord used men to slowly but surely tear down that wall. Um, and now, I mean, there's no way that I would be sitting here on a podcast talking about my past and my hurts whenever I was 18 or whenever I was 25 or whenever I was 30. But because the Lord has shown me the benefits of coming underneath a father's covering, of submitting to authority, of getting what's in the darkness out into the light, it's almost like now I can't get enough of it, right? So what was once the hardest thing in the whole world for, for me has become one of the things that has been the best, um, best thing in the world for me. So, so yeah. I love the themes of what Bob introduced into your life. It was like invitation, intentionality, and then kind of introductions where he's placing these other men in your life to teach you specific things. Yeah. And then ultimately we get to Steve, who you say, besides Sarah, which, I mean, that's like a big deal to say, this guy is the the main guy in my life. Like, So what what are the things that you've learned from Steve? What, what does that, that relationship look like? Steve is uh, the most godly man I know. And I've learned so much from him. Um, I've learned how to follow Jesus from him. I've learned how to get up whenever I fall back down. I've learned how to be a husband and a father. I've learned how to see myself, how the Lord sees me. I've learned how to forgive and be faithful and be humble. There isn't any area of my life in which Steve Allen doesn't have a tremendous impact. One of the things that we've heard you talk about before, just in your line of work, is the importance of um, attention, affirmation, and acceptance. And so uh, we would love to hear from you even, like some specific ways that Steve has given you attention and how he's helped to affirm who you are. Um, and, and you kind of touched on it earlier, just even in how Bob didn't try to change you, right? He, right? he fully accepted you for who you are, but what was it about the way that Steve accepted you that, um, that was maybe most trans transformative in your life? Yeah, 
Um, so Steve, um, Steve just doesn't quit. I mean, he, he doesn't, um, he doesn't give up. And, uh, I mean, he texts me on a consistent basis and he calls me, um, and he never makes me feel like I bother him. He always makes me feel like he's accessible. Um, he gives me permission to really enter into his life. Um, and he entered into my world, right? Like he remembers my past and he remembers birthdays and he remembers important things that are going on in my life. And he just asked me about them. Um, you know, he asked me, hey, Zach, what are you reading? What are you watching? And it isn't like he's trying to judge me. It isn't like he's trying to, you know, condemn me. He just wants to know how I'm growing. He wants to know what am I filling my mind up with. Um, he invited me into his world, right? I mean, Steve Allen has never done anything super out of this world extraordinary with me. He's just invited me over to his house for dinner. He just, hey, Zach, I have to go. I have to go on this errand. Why don't you go with me? Hey, Zach, I'm on my way to a meeting and I've got six minutes. How's life? He asks good questions. He pursues me, right? I mean, who doesn't like to feel pursued? Yeah. <laughs> who doesn't like to feel um, like they matter, right? He affirms me by speaking value over me. He, every time I, every time I call him, he answers the same way, man of God. And he calls me a man of God every time that I talk to him. And at first I thought it was silly. And after that, I started to make fun of him for it. But now I realize how tremendously impactful that is. Mm. Because every time I call Steve, if I ever need a reminder, just call him. Because he's going to tell me exactly who I am. I'm a man of God. I'm a world changer. I'm a history maker. Whether that's changing the entire world or changing the world for one kid. I am a world changer in my son's life. I am a history maker in my wife's life. And Steve speaks that over me. I love that because what you're saying is that it was really just his words and his time and his intentionality that really yeah. probably made the biggest impact. Well, and, and it's so weird. I mean, he says things that I'm like, that's ridiculous. Like, <laughs> I mean, he, he's like, Hey Zach, whenever you become worldwide with forerunner, Hey Zach, whenever you have a thousand kids that you're mentoring, wouldn't it be cool if this happened? And I'm like, Steve thinks we're going to mentor a thousand kids. Steve thinks we're going to be worldwide. Well, if he thinks that, then maybe, maybe I can. Hey, Zach, wouldn't it be cool if whenever your daughter gets married, this happens? Like, dude, my daughter's five days old, right? <laughs> but he's helping me create a vision for who they can become. He's helping me cultivate the possibility that every person that I spend time with can be changed in the name of Jesus. If Steve were to be in this room today and you were to look at him in the eyes and just kind of do what he's done for you, speak life and truth to him, what would you tell him? 
when I think of Jesus, I think of Steve. You know, he has given me an example to follow when it comes to being a man, when it comes to being a husband, and being a father, and being a leader. And I tell him, thank you for believing in me whenever I didn't believe in myself. I'd say thank you for always being there for me, no matter what. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for loving your wife well and for loving your kids well and for giving me a roadmap on how to succeed in this thing called life. I think that's what I'd tell him. That's awesome. Steve, you hear that? <laughs> that's amazing. Your love, Steve. You're amazing. <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is so cool. Um, Stephen Murray here on our podcast, uh, he had a phone call with Steve last week, and he came into my office and said, I can tell that Steve's your spiritual father by talking to him for five minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> it shows. Yeah. So if you were sitting down with a man or a woman who was thinking about investing in the life of a child, um, especially a kid from a hard place, um, what advice would you give them? What What's something practical that um, you would share with them that you feel would make the greatest impact as they begin their journey? I think understanding that you don't have to be Superman to be a good mentor. The enemy's going to tell you everything that you don't have, and he's going to do everything he can to stop you building a relationship with this kid because he knows that relationships change lives. I would tell them to don't quit. Just don't quit. Show up every time. And when you mess up, apologize. And when you miss a meeting or when you don't show up, apologize. Let them see you as a human being who makes mistakes. Um, I would say be intentional. If you've got five minutes, leave them a voicemail. Uh, If you've got one minute, send them a text. Showing up to their basketball game for five minutes is better than not showing up at all. And then be intentional with your words. You can talk about the news. You can talk about sports. You can talk about clothes. And there's nothing wrong with that. But make sure you speak life over them. Make sure you tell them who they are and who they're not. And make sure you always tell them whose they are. You're a son of the Most High King. You're a daughter of the Lord God Almighty. And you have worth and you have value. And I'm proud of you and I love you. Thank you all so much for joining us today on You Can Mentor. We really appreciate you listening. So, Zach, if anyone wants to connect with you to just uh, maybe follow more of your story or more of what you do, how can they connect with you? I'd say the best way to connect with me is to visit our website at www.forerunnermentoring.com, and you can find my contact information there. Awesome. Thanks. All right. Well, we will be sure to put Zach's info as well as other practicals from this episode in our show notes. So be sure to check those out. Yes. And subscribe. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we'd love for you to leave us a review. Maybe you could copy this link and page it to somebody. 911, page that thing out. And if they don't respond, just keep paging 911. We've really dated ourselves (laughs) with this episode. I loved when he was talking about pagers. I mean... (laughs) 
I had a season where I had a, a flip phone and like pagers is the next step for me. So yes, awesome. I love how watching Caroline's reaction because she was just looking <laughs> at us like, I don't know what that is. Oh, so good. Thanks for listening, guys. Absolutely. And hey, guys, if there is one thing that you heard in this episode, we hope it's this. You can mentor. <laughs>